Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. All right, so we are in part two of our series called It's Complicated. And this series is all about relationships, not just the romantic ones, but all of your relationships, all the people that you have to interact with in life. And last week, uh, we looked at ways we can overcomplicate relationships. That relationships by themselves are complicated. Even healthy relationships are complicated because there's two complicated people involved. But that there's some ways in which we can make them more complicated if we're not careful. And this week, what I want to talk about is not really a type of relationship, but a type of person. And that is complicated people. Now, we all know of complicated people. In fact, you might have said, well, I, actually, I drove here with a complicated person. Uh, but I want to I talk about specifically the, the people who take more from us than, than we they, they take more than what they give to us. They take energy out of us. And these are the type of people. And there's probably way more types of people that are complicated. But these are the types that I want to focus on today. And that is the people who are needy. And by needy, I mean those people who you pour yourself out for them, but there's always more to pour out. Jesus says we're always going to have the needy people with us. Uh, Number two, I want to talk about immature people. And immature people are just people who are not fully developed. Sometimes it's because they're supposed to be immature because of their age. And other times there's people in our lives who are 53, but they act like they're 13. And so how do we deal with those people? And then finally, the hurting people. And I think this is probably the most complicated for us. When we have a friend who's struggling through something or has had a tragedy strike in their life and we don't really know what to say, we don't really know what to do, how do we help them? How do we help these complicated people in our lives? And here's why this is important. Because I think if you're anything like me, your, your first uh, reaction is probably just simply to avoid these types of people. <laughs> I know I'm a pastor. I probably shouldn't admit that from the stage. But sometimes I see people and I'm like, I'm not going to go in that restaurant right now because I'll have to talk to that person. And it just will suck the energy out of me. I know you guys are looking at me like you're polishing your halos. You never do that. But that's just honest, Blake Farley, right? I don't, I don't like going into Walmart mainly because I'm going to have to talk to people. And I know that there's going to be some complicated people who need more than what I'm able to give. And yet, as a Jesus follower, and if you're not a Jesus follower, you're just checking it out. You don't actually, you, you can do that. You know, you, you don't have to do what I'm about to say. You can avoid people. Not saying that you will, but you can. But as a Jesus follower, somebody who says, I believe in Jesus and I, I want to live as he would live if he were me. I don't actually have that option. Because Jesus didn't run away from the needy, the immature, and the hurting. He ran towards them. And as a Jesus follower, I'm called to do the same. And more than that, if I'm, if I'm a Christian and I say I love Jesus more than anything else, I, I love Jesus, then the way I love Jesus is by loving these types of people. See, it's easy to say I love Jesus because I worship and I get like goosebumps when I'm in, you know, singing a song that really speaks to me. I'm like, oh, I just I love Jesus as a feeling. But that's actually not how Jesus gave us to love him. Uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, there's this really interesting parable. And Jesus says on the day of judgment that the, the people who will be with him... Uh, He will look at them and he will say, you fed me when I was hungry. You you gave me a home when I was homeless. You visited me when I was in prison. And they say, kind of like probably what you would say, well, Jesus, (laughs) we never saw you in prison. We never fed you. We, We never gave you a home when you were homeless. And Jesus says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. So that in some kind of mysterious way, when I love that needy person in my life, when I love that hurting person in my life, when I love that immature person in my life, I'm actually loving Jesus through them. 
See, this is so important. If we want to follow Jesus, we've got to love complicated people. But, but it is complicated and we have to use wisdom. I love this quote from Tim Keller. Uh, I, I think it's honestly probably one of my favorite quotes. He says, it doesn't matter how good you are if you are stupid. <laughs> you can have the best intentions. But if you're stupid, it's not going to end well for you. And uh, just as, as me standing up here with people, sometimes I feel stupid. I feel foolish. I do not know what to do. And so we're going to look together at what the Bible says uh, about how we can treat these complicated people in our lives one by one. So I'm going to pray for us and then we'll jump in. Father, uh, thank you so much that you love us. <laughs> God, we are complicated people, and yet you love us. God, I I don't even know what I want from time to time. Lord, I I think I want this, and then I go this way. Or I want to worship you on Sunday, but then on Monday I want to do things my own way. And yet, Lord, in all of that complicated mess that makes me me, you love me. You love me. Jesus, help me love people like that. God, I want to love the needy the way you love me in my time of need. I want to love the hurting the way you love me when I'm hurting. I want to love the immature. I want to have patience with the immature as you have patience with me and my own immaturity. God, would you help us as a church family today learn how to love these complicated people? Jesus, it's in your name that I pray. Amen. Number one, we'll start with uh, the needy people. And here's what you do with needy people. You love them carefully. You love them carefully. Remember, the needy people are the people who always want more than what we can give. Like, there's not a fixing these types of people. And sometimes it's because they made bad decisions in their life and they're needy because of that. And they're just constantly stuck in this, I need more money, I need more help, I need this, I need that. And other times it's not because they decided it. You know, this is an elderly parent who can't take care of themselves anymore. This is a special needs friend in our life. This is somebody who life circumstances have made them this way and they have a lot of needs. And what you are there to do is to care for those needs. But what you also know is that those needs are never going to end. And whether they chose it or they didn't choose it, the way that we take care of them is that we love them, but we love them carefully. Now, I'm almost cautious to even say this part because I think a lot of our problems is not that we're loving too much, but that we're not loving enough. I think we see needy people and a lot of us avoid them. We do have to love them for all the reasons I just said before this, but we do have to do it carefully. And here's why. Because if needy people always need more than what you can give, eventually you will run out of what you can give. And the only way I can help a needy person is if I'm not needy myself. This is why when you're flying on an airplane, they tell you, you know, if if the oxygen mask come out, you got to put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you put it on your child. Because if you put it on your child first, you'll suffocate and then you both will die. The same is true when it comes to loving needy people. Uh, I was reading this week about how they train lifeguards for the ocean. Uh, I don't even know how I read half the stuff I read. Uh, sometimes I'm like, am I really studying for a sermon right now? Or like, does this count? But I, I was studying, uh, I was reading this, about this article. And the way they train uh, people who are lifeguards at the ocean is when you see somebody drowning, what you're supposed to do is you swim out to them with your feet out. So kind of like in a setting position. And I thought that was kind of interesting. You know, why would you do that? It seems really inefficient. And the reason they do that is because often when people are drowning in the ocean, they begin to freak out. And what they will do sometimes is they won't recognize that you're there to help them. They will grab onto you and they will drown you. So the reason they tell you to swim with your feet out is so that if the person starts to freak out, the lifeguard can kick them away, (laughs) which is like, wow, that seems kind of harsh. But it just makes sense because there's no sense in both of us drowning. I'm here to help you, but I've got to do it carefully. I've got to do it with wisdom. 
And you say, Blake, well, that doesn't sound a lot like Jesus. I don't think Jesus would just help everybody he could help. Uh, That's my best church lady voice. Um, And and I would just, I would disagree with you because in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, we, we see, verses 35 through 38, we see Jesus helping needy people carefully. This is right at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. So he's just come out as the son of God. He is healing people. The sick are coming to him in droves because it's like, wow, this guy can actually make the blind people see. He's got power that is unlike power of a human. And these people are coming to him and he's healing as many people as he can. And then this happens very early in the morning while it was still dark. He got up went out and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying, which is a really fascinating verse to me because I think when we think of Jesus, we think of him as God. And that's right, we should. But when Jesus came, he took on human flesh. Philippians chapter two tells me he laid down the privileges of divinity, which means he was just like you and I. He sweat, he bled, he got tired. And Jesus, knowing his own frame as a human, knows I could stay here with these people and I could do all this healing. But what I've got to do is I've got to put the oxygen mask on first. And he gets up and he goes to a deserted place. Verse 36, Simon, which is Peter, and his companion searched for him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. I mean, come on, Jesus. There's all these needy people that we have to help. This is awesome. Like our our ministry has exploded. We've got to go back into the town and heal them. And look at what Jesus says. This might not be what you expect Jesus to say. He said to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I've come. See, the first time I read that, it really shocked me because I thought he was going to say, let's go back into the village and help the needy people. But that's not what he says. He says, I know there's needy people there, but my mission is something different. I've got to go to the next village. I've got to I've got to stay on what God has given me to do because I have a limited time and I'm a limited human. And if I try to help every needy person, I will never actually fulfill what God wants for me. And he wouldn't fulfill his ultimate mission, which was what to preach the gospel so that you and I thousands of years later might be saved through what he has done for us. First Timothy five, eight says this. And I think it's, it's really helpful to a lot of people who have a caring heart and you want to pour everything out. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You've got to love them with what you have, but nothing more. You love them carefully. Because if you pour everything you have out for the needy people, you will not have anything left to pour out for yourself and for your family, which God has given you as your primary ministry. So that's number one, needy. We've got we to love them carefully. Number two, and then I want to spend uh, probably the majority of my time right here, which is the immature people in our lives. How do we love the immature people in our lives? And here's what we do. We help them grow up. As Christians, we ought to help the immature grow up. And that looks differently depending on their phase in life. So the, the most common example of helping an immature person, somebody who's not fully developed, become developed is parenthood. Uh, We just did child dedications. Part of their job is to help these people who can do nothing for themselves become people who can live on their own. And what you got to do when a kid is young is you have to have patience with immature people because they are immature. And uh, it's always funny to me when I see somebody who expects an immature kid because they're a kid act like a grown adult. You know, it's like they're six years old and it's like you're so immature. Yeah, they're six years old. You know, they're going to jump on things. They're going to throw things. They're going to do things that you wouldn't do as a grown adult. Or, you know, like a, you'd never get mad at a one-year-old for pooping his pants. It's like, come on, Jim, grow up a little. No, it's, you expect them to do those things because they're not fully matured. 
You have patience with them. You change the diaper. And what we do with immature kids is we do it for them. And then as they grow older, we begin to show them how to do it themselves. And hopefully one day, 18, 19 years old, we don't even live with them anymore. They're mature adults who we can be friends with. But as a parent, our first job is what? It's to help them mature. We do this with patience. And this isn't just true in parenting. It's true throughout life. In fact, if you're a Christian, part of your job as a mature Christian is to help other Christians who are immature become mature Christians. Part of your job is to be around baby believers or unbelievers and help them learn how to walk through this faith life. And if you've ever done a Bible study with me, if you've ever been a man with me uh, in a, in a one-on-one kind of discipleship relationship, then you'll know that I, I turn up the heat slowly on you. Like the first time we do study, second time, I'm doing most of the talking. I'll tell you what the Bible says. I pray for us. But then eventually, because I want you to be mature, I'll say, hey, will you pray for us? Then eventually I'll say, hey, what do you see in the Bible? And by the end of our relationship, I'm asking far more questions than I am giving answers. And eventually I say, okay, it's time for you to go. It's time for you to be a mature believer who is going to help other immature believers. This is what Jesus tells us to do. He says, go therefore and make disciples. Not go therefore and bring them to Blake so that he can turn them into disciples who bring other disciples to come to Blake. No, it's you guys go out and help immature believers become mature believers. Now, what can happen is, is if we never teach people to do things for themselves, what they should be doing, they don't mature. And this is how we get immature adults. And if we help immature kids who are supposed to be immature and immature Christians who are supposed to be immature by being patient with them, here's how we help immature people who should be mature. We let them feel the pain of their decisions. Now, this sounds, again, like something you would say, well, that doesn't sound very nice. But we let them feel the pain of their decisions. Otherwise, you have somebody who never grows up. And I love what this verse in Proverbs says. Uh, It says about an angry person, which is really just an emotionally immature person. Proverbs 19.19, it says, A person with intense anger bears the penalty. If you rescue him, you'll have to do it again. If you continue to rescue an immature person, guess what? You'll have to do it again. As long as you're doing it for them, they will never do it themselves. Uh, and I think in, in our lives, we have a lot of uh, people who are immature in different ways to us. Um, you know, we have friends that are immature. If you have an immature friend, it looks something like this. You're the one that's constantly setting up all the meetings to have lunch with them. You're the one that's remembering the birthdays. You're the one that's, that's caring for them and thinking about them. And they always forget all those other things. They are inconsistent with their commitments. And most of the time when they call you, it's because they want something from you. And if you want to help your immature friend grow up, then what you've got to do is start letting them feel the consequences. Stop setting up the lunches. Stop answering every call that they have. And here's what will happen. They'll begin to do these things for themselves. The most loving thing you can do is to help them grow up. And uh, I I think as parents, especially, we've got to take a lesson from the mama bird. The mama bird, when she wants her her, uh, birds to fly out and go away, what she does is she'll start pecking at the nest. She starts pulling out little straws here and there to make the nest really pointy so that when the baby bird tries to sit down, it's uncomfortable. And eventually it gets so uncomfortable that the baby birds do what? They fly out. They do what they're supposed to do. And I look at some parents, none of you guys in this room, but parents who have like 29-year-old kids living in their basement. And I think the nest is just really too comfortable. Like, why would you want to leave? I mean, think about it. If you did all of their laundry, 
You cooked all of their meals. You gave them money when they ran out of money. You paid for their insurance and their dental. You bailed them out of jail. You did all of these things for them. Why in the world would they ever want to leave and do it on their own? I mean, I'd stay. It's like a cruise ship, man. It's awesome. I lived with my grandma Wendy for two years. It was the best two years of my life. I didn't have to do anything. You've got to start making the nest a little bit uncomfortable if you want them to leave. You know, here's what this practically looks like. If you run out of gas, too bad, you're going to have to walk. You're out of money? I'm sorry, that stinks, doesn't it? Oh, where's my plate for dinner? I don't know, I made mine, but you're going to have to make your own. Well, you're so mean, and they'll get mad at you, they will. But that's okay. One day they'll thank you. Because you don't want them to turn into immature 53-year-olds, which is really sad. And here's advice for anybody who's dating. Please do not marry an immature man. Please, for the sake of... Because you'll end up being a mother, not a wife. And if you want to be a mother, just find a mature man and marry him and then make babies and you can be a mother. But, but don't marry an immature man because what will happen is you'll actually just end up being the mother of his children and the mother of him. Uh, I heard a story that would be hilarious if it, if it wasn't so sad because it's true. Uh, it's, it's a pastor that I know of that he went to a house on, for like a small group deal with his wife. And while they were at this house of one of his members of his church, he, he noticed they had one of those chore boards. Now, you know, like a, the chore board, it tells you, like, take out the trash and do this, do that. You put the kid's name on there, you get a gold star if you do it. And he noticed that it had all the names of the kids. And then at the bottom, there was John, which is the name of the husband. And he thought, hmm, that's strange. You know, it's like the game, something's missing here, right? It's like five-year-old, nine-year-old, 11-year-old, 37-year-old. Like, what in the world is going on? So he asked her, so, you know, what, what's up with John being on the chore board? And she said, well, my husband, I just can't get him to do anything. He just will not help around the house. He seems to be so forgetful about all this stuff. So I thought it might help to put his name on the chore board. As this pastor said, the, the worst part of it was the dad had the least amount of stars. <laughs> what do you think that did for their romantic life? You think that she was really attracted to him? No. It's not very romantic when you're the mother and not the wife. And so, and, and by the way, some of you, you're like, dang it, I already married the immature guy. <laughs> and I would say to you, the advice is the, the same you got to make the nest a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, in fact, my wife does this to me. I know, shocker. Uh, like, which one is Blake? He's the immature one. Yes. Uh, I, uh, we, we have a, a dishwasher, which I thought was to wash the dishes. Uh, that's just kind of what I thought. Uh, but I, I was told by Taylor that I have to wash my dish before I put it in the dishwasher. To me, it seemed like it defeated the whole purpose of the dishwasher. She said, Blake, if, if you don't get the peanut butter out of your oatmeal bowls, then when you put it in there, it's still going to be dirty when the dishwasher finishes. Whatever. No, it's not. And uh, for a long time, what Taylor did for me was I'd put my bowl in there, and she'd take the bowl out, and then she'd scrub it clean for me and put it in there. And I had no problems. The nest was really comfortable, right? Like, my, my bowls were still clean. It was a pretty good deal for me. I just put it in there. Well, uh, Taylor finally said to me, you know what, Blake? I've decided I'm just going to let you have dirty bowls. Uh, If you want to put them in the dishwasher, you get what you get. Friends, I learned to wash my dishes before I put them in the dishwasher really quickly. Taylor helped me mature, and guess what? I was not very happy about it, but it was what I needed. And we have to do this with people we love in our lives. This is how we help them grow up. 
We help them grow up. And I know you can probably think of somebody in your life, whether it's a friend or a kid or somebody you're related to, that you've probably, because you guys are all kind, generous, loving people, you've been doing things for them. And if they're six years old, that's great. Keep doing it. Be patient. But if they're 16, you've got to start doing a little less. If they're 26, you probably need to stop completely because that's the only way they're going to mature. And what do we do with immature people? We help them grow up. So that was number, number one was needy. We love the needy people carefully. Number two, uh, we help the immature people grow up. And if you want to know the difference between a needy person and an uh, immature person, a needy person can't do it for themselves. An immature person simply won't do it for themselves. Number three is the hurting. Number one was needy. Number two, immature. And number three is hurting. And here's what we do for, for hurting people. We are present with them. We're physically present with them. Oftentimes what we want to do is we want to run from the people in our lives who are hurting just because it's uncomfortable. And I get it. I can remember uh, the first funeral I ever preached was for uh, a 16 year old girl who had lost her mom to cancer. And, you know, they said, would you preach the funeral? And I said, yeah. And I just remember how nervous I felt driving over to the house because I'm like one of the first people to see her. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to say the right things. And I thought, you know, what could I ever say to this grieving person? Like, how could I make it better? And honestly, every inclination in me was, can I just get out of this some way? Like, can I, can I say I'm going on vacation? Can I do this? Can I do that? And, and because I just felt so uncomfortable and so inadequate. And I know that's not rare for all of us, right? When, when somebody you love, a best friend, loses somebody that they love, it can be so difficult to know what to do. And oftentimes we feel really inadequate. And the worst thing we can do is to do nothing at all or to send a text message and avoid the situation. Because here, here's, here's the truth about you saying words that will help somebody. It doesn't matter what you say. It really does not matter because it won't help. It won't bring back the person that they lost. It won't reverse the tragedy. The only way you could actually help in moments like that is if you had superpowers and you could bring the dead person back to life. If you could fix the problem. But you can't do that. And nobody expects you to do that, by the way. But what they do expect you to do is to be there for them. We have this beautiful example in the Gospel of John of Jesus doing this very thing. Uh, he, he, this is John chapter 11. He uh, goes to see Mary and Martha. They've just lost their brother Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus has died, and Jesus shows up, and Jesus has the power of God. You know, so Jesus could raise him from the dead. And he does, eventually in the story, raise Lazarus from the dead. But it's not the first thing he does. In fact, one of the first things he does, and we get this, uh, the shortest verse in the entire Bible. If you ever want to say, I'll memorize a Bible verse, this is the one you should choose. John chapter 11, verse 35. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. But Jesus, you're the son of God. You're about to raise him from the dead. Like, stop crying, guys. It's going to be okay. Lazarus, get up. You know, but that's not what he does. He comes and he weeps with them. He's present. That's why the apostle Paul tells us that we ought to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and weep with those who are weeping. We're present for the hurting. Uh, I've experienced this. Uh, one of my friends, Grant, uh, we just actually went and saw him. Grant and his wife, Jess, used to be a part of our uh, church before they moved to the other side of Oklahoma, which I'm kind of bitter about. Uh, but I'm just kidding. Uh, if you guys are watching the podcast, love you guys. Um, but on the anniversary of my dad's death last year, which is not a day that very many people remember. You know, it's like not something I put on Facebook. You don't get a notification for it. Um, 
it's, it's usually a pretty hard day for me. And Grant kind of found out about that day. And most people don't even reach out to me. People who do, you know, I always appreciate it. I don't, I don't ever expect it. But um, Grant took it a step further last year. I was in my apartment, and it was hit me particularly hard this last year for some reason. And I hear a knock on the door, and I open the door, and guess who it is? It's Grant. Grant said, hey, man, I just want to check on you. I just want to see how things are going. He probably asked me one question about how I was doing with my dad. I told him, and then he said, hey, you want to just go ride with me? And for the next two hours, I got in his truck, and we went, and he showed me where he worked. We stopped at a quick stop, got a Diet Coke, which is God's beverage of choice. And we just spent time together, and he dropped me off. And guess what? You know, at the end of the day, I felt immensely loved by Grant. I don't even remember what Grant said. I don't think he said anything super spiritual. But it was his presence with me that mattered. And if you think back about your own suffering, you will not remember usually what people say to you. But you will remember who was there. You'll remember who stayed when they could have left, but they stayed for you. They were present with you. And we've got we've to be people who don't try to say too much because that's generally when we put our foot in our mouth anyways. Uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 25 says this, 25, 20 in the message paraphrase, it says singing songs to a troubled heart is like taking off clothing on a cold day or like pouring vinegar on soda. You come in singing too happy of songs to somebody who's down, it, it only makes the hurt worse. You know, th- don't ever say to somebody, well, at least they're in a better place. Just don't say that to somebody who's suffering because it, although it's true, it's not helpful in the moment. Right? It's like, I'm glad they're in a better place, but I'm hurting. <laughs> like, it's not about them. I, 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 I agree they're in a better place, but I'm in a terrible place. So as a friend, we have to come in and match the emotions of the person that we're helping. So what do we do for hurting people? We're present for them. For immature people, we help them grow up. And for needy people, we love them carefully. By the way, if you're immature or you're needy or you're hurting, I want you to know that we love you. And I know this message can be awkward because I'm taking it from the perspective that we're all mature. And I know that's not true. <laughs> like I know in any room there's immature people, there's needy people, and there's hurting people. And yet, I believe God can speak to each of you, especially for the immature person. I found my favorite verse in the whole book of Proverbs. Uh, This is something that if you're a grown kid, you're 26 years old, you keep coming home. I don't know why I keep using that as an example. Maybe God's speaking to somebody in the room. I don't know. Uh, You keep coming home. Uh, I just, and honestly, I want to put this verse on my front door for everybody who comes to see my house. Uh, Proverbs chapter 25. This is not made up. This is in the Bible. 25 verse 17 says, seldom set foot in your neighbor's house. Otherwise, he'll get sick of you and hate you. Is that not just really good advice? That's in the Bible. You guys should read the book. It's a great book. If you're an immature person, if you're an immature person, that should be your verse. Uh, but for, for the rest of you, I want you to know, if you're needy, we're here to help. If you're hurting, we're here to love you. And uh, this is what we are supposed to do, friends. It's not just me as a pastor or us as a church, but it's us individually as we go out from this place. And here's, here's really the real reason why we can do this. I could stop there and say, go and do likewise. But what really gives me the power to love in this way is because I've been loved in this way. Because Jesus Christ has loved me when I was needy, in my immaturity, and when I was hurting. See, Jesus loved me when I, I was needy because to get to God, there, there was nothing that I could do to get to God. Like there's nothing I can do to be made right with God. And yet Jesus comes And he lives the life I couldn't live. He's the only one who ever deserves life. And yet he dies. Why? Because he's taking my place on the cross. I was a beggar that there was no end to my begging. And Jesus came and he fulfilled what only he could do for me. 
Jesus loves me in my immaturity. The Bible says that, you know, after you become a Christian, it doesn't just end there. You're supposed to be like Christ. To live like Jesus would live if Jesus were you. Have any of you fulfilled that mission? You're like, you're Jesus. Praise God, nobody raised their hand. That'd be a different sermon. Because none of us are fully there. And this guy is probably as far as anybody in this room. Sometimes I feel like such a little worm. It's like, why do I think the things I think? Why do I do the things I do? And yet, what does Jesus do in my immaturity? He's patient with me. There's new mercies every day. And sometimes Jesus does the hard thing of allowing me to feel the consequences of my pain, of my immature decisions, so that I can become mature. And and finally, Jesus is present unlike anything else in my suffering. This is truly what separates Jesus from any other God. See, I hear people saying sometimes, how could you believe in a God that allowed suffering in the world? And I would say to you, I don't know, but I was never promised there wouldn't be suffering in the world. But what my God did is he took on flesh. And he, the best person to ever live, had the worst thing ever happen to him. He, the best person ever, the one who created this universe, was spit in the face. Nine inch nails to both of his wrists. Died a horrific death. Betrayed by his friends. Anything that you could think of that has caused hurt in your life, Jesus experienced it times ten. So when Jesus comes to comfort me, he doesn't do it as a God who's far off. He does it as a present savior who's experienced what I'm experiencing. See, because I've experienced these things, I can love the needy. I can love the immature and I can love the hurting in my life. I want to pray for us. And Molly, if you guys want to go ahead and come up. Father, there are complicated people in each of our lives. Lord, I know all of us in this room, we have, we have needy people We have immature people. We have hurting people. God, would you give us wisdom to know what we are supposed to do for each of these people? God, help us to love the needy people in our lives carefully. Help us to love the immature people so that they could grow up to be mature. Father, help us be present to the hurting as you are present with us. Lord, it's in your name I pray. Amen. John 13, 34. You guys can go ahead and stand up if you want. We're about to worship. John 13, 34 is uh, one of my favorite verses. We've all heard of the golden rule, which Jesus gives early in his ministry. Love others as you would want to be loved. But towards the end of his ministry, before he's about to die on the cross for the sins of the world, Jesus, he, he ups it. Andy Stanley calls it the platinum rule. This one is really hard to get out of. Because Jesus says, I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. I don't get to decide how I love the hurting, how I love the immature, how I love the needy. I love them as Jesus has loved me. Friends, I want us to take about 20 seconds, eyes closed, head bowed, and say, Father God, what are you saying to me through this message? Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.